Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. Always have this growth mindset, always be learning, but also know when it's time to leave the party, you know, to really continually be in this cycle of growth and learning and not be complacent. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, this is Joe Peterson. I'm the vice president of cloud and security with Clarify 360. I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about a year, and I was drawn in by the energy and enthusiasm of the Women in Tech podcast. Esprit does a really great job in sharing stories of women in tech so that young female listeners can put themselves in the shoes of these women speaking. See, I strongly believe that if we don't show young women the way forward in tech by sharing our stories, then they won't know what's possible. The stories are what creates the value and inspiration. Great job, guys. Today's personal spot is about over-delivering on customer experience. I can't tell you how much it, it excites me to be able to truly see that I'm impacting someone's life. I recently curated a podcast cohort, and it's something I'm doing just once. I, don't, I have no plan on having a cohort business or doing this again, but it's a 30-day podcast cohort. I'm looking at my sheet right now, 92 people who joined across 22 countries. And all of these 92 people I look at every single day to see that they're taken care of. It excites me. It thrills me to be able to look at their name and see what's going on with them and the podcast art that they're creating and then the ideas they're coming up with and how they're syncing with one another and providing them resources from co-host matchmaking to creative co-working sessions for podcasting to all sorts of stuff, how to interview better, how to edit, like it just thrills me to see them live on the Zoom call, thrills me to, to, to see them like just leaning into what they love and being able to get things done. And that's not something to be automated. That's something where I want to spend personal attention and invest in, in every last person. And I know that's tough in today's you know world where we're told scale up and fast and blah, 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 and automate and zappier and blah, blah, blah. There are there are really smart ways to automate operations, 100%, and we all should. But like, make sure like people, your customers, your members are seen, that you're, we're delivering a, an extraordinary customer experience for them specifically, that they're not just a number in, in our computer programs, you know? Anyway, I, it's, just, it's just so energizing to me to be able to interact with the, each of them and care about each of them. And I'm really, I feel so lucky that I attracted these extraordinary people into my life. And I think you'll feel the same, like as you really build and have that strong relationship with your members and your customers. It's just, it is a gift to be a part of their journey. Anyway, enjoy the next episode. Welcome. 
the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest. Welcome, Rebecca, coming at us from London. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Esprit. I'm so flattered to be here. I'm so excited to have you on. We met because you are launching a podcast, which is so exciting. Go ahead. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So I am the head of customer success for a company called Kama, which is a startup um, focused in the payment space and specifically about simplifying payroll and payments for small businesses. So I help nurture and develop those clients and make sure that they're, you know, represent the voice of the customer within my company. And what attracted you to be in like wanting a podcast? Why a podcast? Why now? Well, (laughs) Excellent question. So glad you asked. I love podcasts. I've been obsessed with them for a long time. So for instance, when um, in earlier versions of the iPhone, before it was standard to have the um, Apple podcast app, um, I would I would get the app and then I would download um, episodes from some of the, you know, the handful of, of podcasts that were available. And I'd have to be quite ruthless with, you know, the amount of data that I would um, be able to to save. So it was like, do I take photos? Do I save, download this podcast episode? What do I do? You know, before we had this ubiquitous storage that we have nowadays. And so I just loved it because I love that audio format. I loved having that, you know, engaging these stories, the intimacy. And I also just like the variety. I could learn a lot of different things about different things. Things, um, so to speak. And so what would happen is over time, in fact, uh, my friends would come to me for recommendations. So they would kind of say, oh, you're kind of like the podcast DJ. So I'd always kind of toyed with like, oh, is there something I could do around that? But I never really had the sort of the, uh, it's kind of a lazy excuse to say time, but it just, now it's so easy to make a podcast. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, <laughs> It was like, oh, forget it. Like, I would need to learn how to do all of these different things. And all of my spare time, it it takes much uh, longer than it does today. So I've always sort of nurtured that idea in the background. And then during um, lockdown, I had a bit more time um, on my hands to explore hobbies. And I'd come across an article of a woman who was helping a number of vulnerable elderly people in her neighborhood, you know, people that needed help getting the shopping because they couldn't leave the house because of the pandemic. And it was basically like a small community of friends. So like um, help your friend, like neighborhood friends. I thought, oh, that's really sweet. And then it really started me thinking around, you know, what are, how are friendships going to transform during this time? So I'm someone who originally from the States, I now live in London. So I've been able through technology to maintain a lot of those contacts. But at the same time, I've lost a number of friends. We've lost touch and, you know, how, how is it going to transform? And then as with many things that I do, I get very curious. And I I went down this rabbit hole thinking about different friends. So that's one piece. The second piece is I'd read this book, um, My Brilliant Friend. I don't know if you've read it. Mm -mm, The Ellen Ellen of... Yeah, the Elena uh, Ferrante book, it's actually a trilogy, and she explores uh, female friendship. So, you know, we even struggled to talk about how to define that. So I think, you know, uh, one uh, one um, strong feel f- female friendship in American culture is, you know, Oprah and Gail. Uh, but we can't quite define that, right? Because they're such a strong bond. So we say, oh, they're best friends. But what does what does that actually mean? And, and I'd also seen a, a number of conversations or had 
conversations with my friends about how their relationships with friends were changing with things like when they were getting married or having children or choosing not to have children or, you know, doing different things in career and moving. And I thought, I don't really know of a podcast that's exploring a lot of these friendship things that I find really, really interesting. So I thought, well, why not me? Right? So so I started to explore how to start a podcast, da, 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 da. I joined a number of groups and I reached out to a few people and I said, do you have any interesting stories about friends, friendship? I got a number of replies and can I just tell you what they were in, in, already within the first like batch of replies, I got one person who, a woman who went to jail. So what does it mean to <gasps> for, make friends? For their friend? No, she went to jail herself. And so she was saying, well, I can talk to you about what it's like to make friends in jail. And I thought, wow, I, yeah, I want to know about that. <laughs> and then yeah. I, have a, I have a lot, I have questions wow. and how generous this person is on the internet to be willing to talk to me about it. And then someone else who had a best friend and she ended up betraying her best friend to get with her uh, boyfriend, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, things like losing touch and then being reunited in an, in an unusual way or falling out, you know, bride and bridesmaid. So there were all of these really interesting stories. So Very I, interesting. Re- yes. Like so a bride and bridesmaid. That's <laughs> yes. interesting too. Yeah. Yes. Because that can really change the friendship dynamic, right? So I was so, so interested. I recorded all of these um, episodes and then I just hit a wall. And it was because I was working a number of things. So one, I was working nonstop at a startup. And after spending 12, 14 hours a day on a computer, the last thing I wanted to do was spend four or four five more hours editing. And then, of course, we're in a global pandemic. I'm 5,000 miles away from my family. I'm just sort of trying to process other things going on in my personal life. So I had some really good advice from a friend that I actually met through that recording. And she said, no one says you have to do anything with it today. Put it on a shelf, continue to send it love, and when it will be when it's time, it'll be time. So th- so then I heard you on the Tom Boyd podcast, not oh, even I love what, that guy. not even Yes, that guy, amazing. Yes. So I heard him Bonus 2 footage. weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> on Instagram. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, on his podcast called uh, Creator. Yeah, you're right. Uh, bonus footage on Instagram. So on his podcast, Creators of Brands. And I ended up hopping to your episode. And on it, um, I think you even mentioned doing the cohort. And I could not type fast enough. My hands were shaking. <gasps> I was like, who is this person? This is the sign. It's time. It's time. No because way. How cool yes. is that? Yes. So that's when I, I couldn't believe that there were still spots. And I thought, I've got to do it because I still am just as passionate as I am now, as I was then, as I've always been about podcast. And I thought the time is ripe. This is a sign. I got to do it. So cool. I want to dive into your history in tech and how you got involved in the tech world. But before I do, I think it might be nice for us to kind of briefly exchange our thoughts on pursuing a creative project, like the podcast cohort you mentioned for me, creating a cohort. Um, I'm only doing it this one time, as you know, and it's a creative project for me. And sometimes I think that we get caught up in what standard success seems like, like, like societal success. And so 
I know as an entrepreneur in the past, it's like, if I'm going to do something, it's like, go all in and make it work. And it better get these numbers or something, something. And, and now I just kind of look like at my entrepreneurial endeavors as creative expressions. And then I let the data tell me, you know, what to carry forward and what to just enjoy for the moment. And this podcast cohort, I have zero intention to do another one. I just really wanted to explore certain elements. Um, I mentioned this on the onboarding call. It was, it's to be creative, to create meaningful connection for others and to step into my fear because I was really afraid of doing it. I'm not looking for a ton of numbers. I'm, I'm definitely not making a lot of money on it, if anything at all, like, you know? So <laughs> it's funny, yes. what, how do you view success of creative projects? Because sometimes that could be frustrating. Sure, um, absolutely. So uh, two things, one is, am I enjoying myself and exercising a different part of myself, like capital S? So does it free me from whatever I'm doing and expand me in some way? So for instance, I love to paint, especially watercolor paint. I am terrible at it, but I love it. And so oftentimes I will paint with no expectation other than I feel like painting in purple and I sit and do that and it relaxes me in a certain way. It um, is just really happy. So there are absolutely zero KPIs beyond does this feel good? <laughs> you know, does totally. it expand my spirit? Exactly. In some way? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And yeah, go yeah. ahead. Oh, and then uh, the other things are, um, so with the podcast, it's more about, I'm really curious about how to share these types of conversations. One, explore this idea that I think is really, really interesting. And everyone has a friendship story. It could be, I have no friends. It could be, I have too many friends. It could be, I can't keep friends. It's whatever. Not explored enough, something I'm very passionate about. But most of all, I want to help others understand how they can be better friends and have more fulfilling friendships. So mm. that's, I, I don't know how to measure that in KPI. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's difficult. Yeah, I think we we just need to all give ourselves, I think you and I have, which is why I'm sharing it, give ourselves permission to enjoy the creative expression, like stop trying to place some sort of big metric on it just to make deem it quote unquote successful. My coworker is completely successful because again, my, my, what I'm doing it for is creativity, connection, and to step outside of my fear. I've done all three things. It's successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. And, and what I would like to share as well and reflect back to you is that one thing I I'm finding most enjoyable is that you constantly reinforce the idea of there's no such thing as you're behind like have a bit of fun, have a bit of curiosity, learn some new things. I'm giving you the resources. You can come for all of them. You can cherry pick. This is like choose your own adventure. I'm giving you, you know, you're very <laughs> extraordinarily generous in it. But, you know, I just from the chat and the cohort, you can see that we're all sort of conditioned to, you know, we must be ticking all of these boxes and it must look a certain way and it must happen at a, a particular cadence. And, you know, you, because you've, you've set that tone to say, listen, we're here to have fun. We're here to learn. We're here to, to learn together and have that interaction. And you can see that it really has like brought that tone down and really helped people be more comfortable with it. And I would say even share where it's like before, maybe they would only share their quote unquote best, you know, draft of their cover art. And now they're like, what about these 17 different versions that are all completely <laughs> different? Right. Totally. I think that's wonderful. 
Totally. I think, I think it's important to, I mean, it comes from a place of pain, right? Because that pain of like needing to be perfect and needing to get it done and, and really forgetting how to just enjoy in the journey. And so that's why, you know, I emphasize it in the cohort and I'm finding it really fascinating how this need to be ahead and not fall behind in this and it like the behind is this perception it's not even a reality and how it's so ingrained in us oh we're behind who decided that you're behind <laughs> like, you know <laughs> exactly who told you that <laughs> your inner critic you know yes. and we all have that inner critic well most of us i would imagine yes. i do <laughs> i do i do for sure yeah so yeah. yeah it's interesting even with this podcast you know there's times where I I need to take a break or whatever it is. I have a perfect example. My, you know, my editor, we were talking about episodes. I was like, okay, I'll do eight next week. He's like, how about, you know, you're doing this cohort. How about you just do one? <laughs> I don't really need eight. <laughs> you know? I was like, oh, had it, had it occurred to me. Maybe that's a good idea. <laughs> you know? like, okay, what is some breathing room? You have other stuff going on right now. And I'm like, okay. Let's talk about technology. When did you first become interested in technology? And then, yeah, what did, were you a little girl? Was it later on? So I've always been interested in technology. And that's because my older brother had set a good example. He had one of the very first, you know, home computers. And I remember him dismantling it and teaching himself on this sort of DOS uh, screen. And that was kind of interesting for me. And then I've always enjoyed it, but more formally. So when I say enjoy it, I'm always, I, I like to think I'm an early adopter of things. So for instance, um, I would, I had one of the first eBay accounts ever, one of the first PayPal accounts ever. And so, no I mean, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm dating myself. <laughs> yes, because I thought, what is this crazy thing? And it's so, it's so fun and so interesting. What does this mean? And it really opened up my world and ideas. So, Wait, you know, Rebecca, even, can we drive yes. for a second? Yo, Let's. eBay led yeah. what tech is today. They used to have yes. the most epic conferences. People don't yes. know. eBay, they don't know. No, eBay create that what we know as the startup ecosystem today and these events and, and acrobatics in the air. And it was eBay. They were the OG <laughs> disruptor, the absolute totally. OG disruptor. Yes. And the first to do like gamification of products. I mean, I don't know if you remember your first experience on eBay, but especially when they only had this... Um, what they call it, the auction, people were literally glued to their computer screens, counting down the minutes to see if they won this whatever signed baseball from so-and-so, like from someone in Cincinnati, you know? And it was gripping. You know, I remember it now. And now I'm a little bit, I, I'm glad they still exist. I'm a little bit sad that they've kind of squandered that real estate um, from, you know, the, my armchair expertise they used to ask for. But someone like PayPal actually I think they're still on the cutting edge, like to have successfully gone through scale. And if you think about it, when I open my PayPal app, I can see my my cryptocurrency balance. I can issue an invoice. They were in the buy now, pay later space before anyone else. They called it pay in three. I can you know, run my small business, transfer to different accounts. I still think they're on the cutting edge of tech. And those two came up uh, around the same time. So um, any of you uh, business school uh, listeners, that might be an interesting case study for your for. For your final project. So where did you parlay after after that beginning discovery of, of your interest in tech? Where did you go in your career? Did you per continue to pursue it kind of on a personal level or did you start to make it a professional thing? 
Well, it was professional by accident. So for my undergrad, I studied economics and international relations. And so one of my first jobs um, out of out of college or out of uni, as they say here in the UK, was uh, I was looking for a job and, and they were looking for someone who could do SQL and SAS programming. And I'd picked up those skills um, during my studies. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And I ended up getting recruited to, uh, at that time I was living in California, uh, recruited by JP Morgan to move to New York City uh, to work on Wall Street and capital markets. And they were like, well, we need SQL and SaaS programmers to work on what they were calling, at that time, also very revolutionary, kind of the first, some of the first AI and, and uh, rules-based you know, decisioning, uh, they called it rules-based um, risk management, RBRM. And you need to go through this credit training program and, and rotation program. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Tell me more about moving me to New York City. <laughs> so I couldn't kind of care. You know, it, I was interested, but it was like, oh, uh, yeah, I have this thing. It'll get me this job and get me this place that I want to go. And then over time, my strength was more in client relationships and building that relationship internally. So even when I had my rotations and kind of risk management, there were two things that would happen. One, people would say, oh, you're really good at... Um, explaining complex ideas in a, in a very approachable, digestible way. And then two, whenever there'd be sort of a what we would now call digital transformation, but some sort of, you know, technology project, I would always be uh, put on that, you know, transformation committee because I could help, you know, do procurement and look at vendors and also come back to my teams and kind of explain it. So now we have these, you know, teams and teams of different, like this consultant, that consultant, business analyst, this and that. But back then it was like, you know, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. You had to be able to, you know, convey a lot of those things before it was so ubiquitous. So I ended up having a career in uh, large financial institutions, in capital markets, working with asset managers. And what that simply means is talking to someone like, you know, representing the the bank and helping them trade with, let's say, Fidelity Asset Management. So they'd come to a broker and they say, I need to trade this in Euro and that in, you know, Aussie dollar. And I would need to make sure that we had the legal in place, the credit line in place, this, that, and the other. And so that was very interesting and fulfilling and, and took me interesting places, moved me eventually to London. I was wondering um, how you ended up in London. <laughs> yes, yeah. I ended up in London um, in the global financial crisis, actually. But I've always had this, again, this through line of technology. And then at a certain point, I said, you know what? I've done this big working for big banks, large financial institutions. I want to do something else. And I decided I wanted to move into technology. And I thought it would be much, much easier than, <laughs> than it was. So I had to work really, really hard to find, you know, uh, find my way in, but find it, I did. So um, about two and a half years ago, I was able to move from large global banks to working for a fintech, um, a lend tech company. And they had enough imagination to say, oh, okay, we, we are calling it customer success, but we understand that that's just another label for, you know, client management. It's a variation on the theme, right? It's can you take care of customers? Can you help them take them on this technology journey, understand their their pain points, um, and make sure that they're they understand how to use the product and get the most value out of it? And tell us about Comma. So Comma is so so interesting. They actually started um, out by saying, okay, we know that a lot of small businesses 
spend a lot of time every single month paying their, let's five employees, 10 employees, and they go in their business bank account and they have to click individually for each payment and it takes a lot of time and then they have to do the reconciliation and push that data back into their accounting package. And now through open banking, we can literally link their accounting package with their business bank account and in a matter of clicks, They've done their monthly payroll. So something that may have taken a couple of days now literally takes minutes. And that is huge value to a small, small business who can then free up their time to, you know, actually build their business rather rather than doing something um, so simple. So the tagline for Comma is let us take care of, you know, the boring stuff or simplify the boring stuff, which is cute, you know. So this totally. is actually a, a new role for me. Um, so I'm really excited. How long have you worked there? Well, today was actually <laughs> actually my first day stop but, yes and you're yes. already you, a plus because you're like and i already got you some exposure on the woman in tech podcast <laughs> that's right <laughs> well that's so funny is that on my onboarding today um the, you know we came to the end and they said oh well, do you have any questions and i said yeah so i'm doing a doing a little podcast later today are you happy for me to use the company name they were like yeah, yeah of course we're happy to no problem yeah amazing how um what attracted you to their commas company culture? One, completely heart-centered. Um, mm, and what I mean by that language. is that, <laughs> yes, my language as well. So what I've learned um, in the startup experience that I had, which I'm very, very grateful for, again, allowed me to pivot, et cetera. There were some things about the culture that I wanted to improve on in my next role. So I said, okay, I want to hear from each person I interview with it you know, something about the the culture that knows that it's, you know, there's um, safety to make uh, mistakes, to be your, you know, bring your whole self to work, but also that they're concerned about well-being. And I wanted to know how they took care of their staff during uh, lockdown and what their views were on remote working. But most importantly, well, one something that's very close to my heart is diversity. So what does their leadership team look like? So I heard about the role through uh, there's a, a women in fintech group here in the ecosystem in London. And so I uh, knew their head of product um, through that group. And she um, had introduced me to Kama um, as a concept and as, uh, as a business and an opportunity to apply. But so she's on the leadership team. So it's unusual to have a female head of product. So that's fantastic. The COO is a female. And so it wasn't just this stale pale male or this tech bro, you know, cast of characters. Hashtag not all men, not all tech bros, but you know what I mean? Like for me, it was important that from day dot, that it was a leader, that the founder that said, it's important for me to have diversity in the leadership team from the very beginning, rather than an afterthought when they're trying to do, you know, fundraising and they, and they may have some questions around diversity. So that shows me a commitment there. And then two, the conversations were less about, they were very much about, oh, I, I took a day, a mental health day because I could feel I could feel that burnout approaching. Um, so to say that very openly and not in a, it wasn't in a sales pitchy way, it was merely a, like, I'm gonna reschedule that because I'm gonna take a, a mental health day. I thought that was pretty cool. That is really cool. Throughout your career, what has been a huge obstacle you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? So I would say my biggest obstacle that um, I overcame that really, really helped me was to finally take a chance and challenge people in more senior positions, even if that meant I broke, you know, some understood social rules or hierarchy rules, or even if I look stupid or, or got that challenge back, because I realized that 
um, I was doing well in my career, but I would I would sort of plateau for a while. And and you know, my managers, I would always get great reviews, et cetera, but they would they would talk about how I needed to build my influence with senior stakeholders. And what I was able to pinpoint is that what would happen is I would I would actually be able to, I would get in the room, I would have a seat at the table, and then I wouldn't say anything, which is a squandered opportunity. So it would be, you know, someone that I perceived as being that I couldn't challenge, i.e., you know, an SVP or ahead of this or ahead of that. They would say something and I would, in my mind, I'd be like, no, that won't work because of, or gosh, I wonder if they've considered this angle and I I wouldn't say anything or, I, or I'd only pluck up enough courage by the end of the conversation and then the moment had passed. So once I forced myself, I just had to give myself really <laughs> bite-sized um you know, I'd have to pluck up the courage and then um, give myself bite-sized goals to say, okay, in the next executive committee, in the next exco, I'm going to make two comments. I'm going to reply to someone when they say, how does that sound? Or they open the floor and to come prepared with a question. So just so that I can start to feel comfortable speaking and pushing back. And that did help. So by the end of, you know, three months, they were used to me speaking. And then by that time, I built up enough momentum and courage to then start challenging. And there were some times when I felt I would leave and feel embarrassed and kind of feel my cheeks be hot because I would say, well, have you thought about this? And they would say, yes, of course, X, Y, Z. So then I felt kind of stupid, stupid, right? But at the same time, that actually helped me because later, you know, I would get the feedback like, they like that you're thinking that way or, or trying to see two steps ahead or, you know, it really did help me. Um, but it took a long time for me to get there longer than it should. I like that you did it in digestible pieces, though. Um, it reminds me, I'm most people don't know that I'm very introverted. So when I I know it doesn't seem it because I present extroverted. So when I go to like a networking event or something, I'm already like mapping out my exit plan. So I right. tell myself, <laughs> just yes. all you have to do is talk to five people and then you can leave. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And you know, this is also part of the reason I'm laughing is because I love public speaking, no problem networking. You know, I don't mind those things. But for whatever reason, I had a real mental block about if I'm in this boardroom, or if I'm at this place, then somehow it's off limits for me to be naturally me. Um, and the advice I give to people that I mentor is exactly what you're saying. Like, I get it. Networking is not even fun, even when you're good at it. So <laughs> it can be fun for some people, but it's exactly what you're saying. So I'd say, so your goal is to go in, try two different canapes, <laughs> get, talk to three different people. And if people are unfriendly, guess what? You've won. You did it. You got yourself out there. Yeah, I think we forget the middle part. I mean, this is what we were talking about earlier with just, you know, enjoying our creative projects. We want to go from not talking at all to being the loudest in the room or, you know, conceptually instead of just like little tiny bite size action steps to build up our foundation to find our footing and see what's right for us and to like just level up and layer on top of layer and just a really slow, beautiful, enjoyable growth. And it's not enjoyable necessarily to step outside of your comfort zone and and to lean into your fear, but it's enjoyable in the sense that you could walk away. If you ask one question when when you ne didn't ask questions in meeting before, you could walk away being like, I'm proud of myself. I asked a question today. And that's like great. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It feels really good. Yeah. And also I'm setting the example for other people in the room mm -hmm. that also may feel the same way. 
hundred percent, a hundred percent. How cool. I, I love to always find out, is there, is there a piece of advice you've gotten throughout your career that's really stuck with you that's helped you accelerate forward? Uh, yeah, there's two. One is when you think about going into a job, one great way to frame it is learn a job, improve a job, and leave. <laughs> <laughs> so, be, so basically, you know, always have this growth mindset, always be learning, but also know when it's time to leave the party, you know, to, to really continually be in this cycle of growth and learning and, and not be complacent. And then the other, other piece of advice is, you know, the perfect is the enemy of the good. And sometimes it's fine to just go with good enough. Now, I don't necessarily suffer from perfectionistic uh, tendencies. <laughs> but I would say there's a lot of times where I want to be quite thorough or I want to look at things from so many different perspectives and have I considered the options when really sometimes you just need that expediency. You know, as much as I love a big juicy problem to really think about and how can I do this best, et cetera. So one thing I'd actually like to share with you is what I'm impressed by is that you know, you're able to really herd the cats in the, in the cohort because, <laughs> you know, because for instance, I know that you'll say to us like, oh, it's such and such app. Like, how are people feeling about it? And, and you even, and someone said, well, have you thought about this and that? And you said, yeah, actually I did think about if we wanted to do another app, but I realized that's two more clicks and I thought it would be better. Let's just keep it here. It's streamlined and it just, just made sense. So you could have this perfect, you know, 25 different perfect apps to do this very specific thing. But at the end of the day, that comes at the expense of just having it all together and making it really easy and approachable. And so the, those trade-offs are, are worth it. So I, I feel like that's a great embodiment of, you know, the perfect is the enemy of the good. So go for the good. I love that you said that because I think we get lost in what is the right way to do something when there's actually like a zillion right ways and you just is just choose the one that's feels good for you in what you're creating. <laughs> yes. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. There's tons of right ways to life, to everything. And there's you can't yeah, it's I think as a young entrepreneur, I would feel that I could read, you know, like the four hour work week or something, and then I would just know the treasure map to life and that would be it. I'm good, you know. Yep. <laughs> yep. Problem solved. Um, yeah. And then it just didn't work out that way. <laughs> So quick fire round. What book do you recommend we read? I recommend Love is the Killer App. Mm, tell us, tell us. What's it about? Yes. So this is a this is a kind of um classic book that's really about what we would now call, you know, heart-centered leadership. Um, but it's about how you can lead with love and all of your interactions and really coming from a place of how can I help others? Now, not to say that that comes at the expense of your own well-being, mental health, capacity, et cetera, but really about how do I come from a place of yes? How do I help make this happen for someone else? Like, what can I do within my right now today to help others? And that is a good formula for building a community, building a network, doing a project. Even when you're, we're talking to ourselves, what can I do right now that is the most loving thing? And sometimes that's a tough love thing. Sometimes that's, uh, you know, I can give, allow myself grace for this quote unquote falling behind. It, it shows up in a lot of different ways. So now when I, I think it's kind of funny, it's a, it's the same, um, you know, we're recycling ideas or it's a variation on a theme. And there's a reason because these are really potent ideas, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, love is a killer app. And who do you recommend we follow? Just in general on Twitter, on Instagram, a blog, a podcast. Yeah, YouTuber. of course. So actually one person I follow, uh, so I love LinkedIn. So you, I really love Wes Cow from Maven. You've actually, I think you had her on the podcast. Yeah. 
So I think she's incredible. So um, she's also like rolling out this cohort learning product. So I'm fascinated to see where she goes. But when I heard her interview with your podcast and on another one, I actually had this idea that she would be my dream mentor because I usually have thought of having a mentor older than myself. And I thought, no, I could learn a lot from her. She is so smart in this really fascinating way and also so approachable. And I really think she's this visionary in a way that she's going to do great things. So I, I really strongly recommend following her um, for the podcast. <laughs> I Rebecca, all, by the way, all my mentors are like 19. You got this. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm like, Amazing. I need to stay up with these things. <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. I know. I know. No, honestly, she is amazing. At the moment, I really, <laughs> it sounds a little bit dark, but I really love this podcast called Depression Mode. Oh, that's what um, a great name. Yes. It's basically a, a podcast that helps destigmatize um, what we'll just call a mental illness, but it's talking about how people who are, you know, perform at a very high level um, suffer from a lot of different things. So maybe how they handle their anxiety, how that shows up in their life, or how a depressive episode would, you know, have kind of interrupted or, or brought about reflection. And it's just like the interviewer is so kind and thoughtful. And I always come away from those conversations like chewing over for a few days it, it really they're really touching um and also provoke a lot of self-reflection for me and then of course i love how i built this yeah um, of course yeah iconic of course of course <laughs> <laughs> wait tell everybody just in case those few that don't know what's how i built this about so how I build this um, is hosted by Guy Raz and is talking about, you know, the origin stories of some of our favorite brands. And so um, some of my favorite episodes are the one about MailChimp, highly recommend, and the one about the founding of Canva. Um, so the MailChimp one I really liked because it talks about how leadership became the thing that helped skyrocket his brand. And it wasn't even something on his radar. It was actually someone from his team that said, you know what, you need to work on your leadership skills. <laughs> So that you can rally around people to help you get through scale, you know? And then the Canva um, origin story was just about just that scrappy, can-do, make-it-happen, and also just having that conviction in your product, which who doesn't use Canva nowadays? It is oh, so the best. brilliant. And it also makes me think, like, do you know how many years I suffered taking Photoshop classes <laughs> and all those Adobe classes trying to learn to do these things that I can now just drag and drop? Like, it's shocking. Canva's amazing. That's actually a perfect lead-in to the last question is, what is your favorite tool? It can be an app, software. I mean, both of us endorse Canva. If you don't if you don't know how to do Photoshop, just look at Canva. It takes care of all of it for you. Like, Canva is the, 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 the be a designer without being a designer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I I really love um Otter. Mm, um, yes, and, transcription. Yeah. yeah, transcription. So I use it in a few different ways. So um one I use it during my uh, master's research to help transcribe all of my interviews, but I also use it for to send long voice notes to friends because when they click on the link, um they can listen to it if they're out and about, but if they're somewhere where they can't have the volume on, they can actually just read it because all the transcription Oh, nice. um, so I like to do that. Yeah. So that's one way I use it to help keep in touch with people because oh, I don't know about lovely. you, but there, <laughs> there are some friends that we just exchange voice notes because it's, you know, we're in different parts or we're doing this yeah. or that. And yeah, I, I found it really great. 
What? I've never even heard otter used in that way. You know, another way to use otter is to make a podcast or to write a book. If you're just like walking around, you could help get your thoughts out or especially with writing a book. It's, you know, everybody's like, oh, how am I going to write this essay? How am I going to write this book? But if you just speak it into otter and then it writes it all out for you, you could edit it from there. How can people connect with you? Twitter uh, is great. And I am at Lex McBex, which is spelled L-E-X-M-C. E-E-X. I'm also on LinkedIn at LinkedIn forward slash Rebecca Jones UK, which is R-E-B-E-C-C-A-J-O-N-E-S-U-K. And then one uh, shameless plug. <laughs> I'm also, uh, so I have one other um, exciting project, which is what I, I'm calling the micro MVP. Um, it's called Hire an Old, H-I-R-E-A-N-O-L-D.com. Um, so I'm looking to launch that in May and that's to help, uh, raise awareness around, um, ageism and tech, um, yes. something I've, yes, something I've encountered, uh, something I'd really like to one, help people that are looking to p- pivot mid-career into tech. So what do they need to know? Kind of demystify things, but also on the other side, talk to the HR professionals to help translate, you know, people's experience to, you know, what they're looking for, but also um, just address how comfortable or really the discomfort people have with hiring or managing people that are older than themselves. Totally, totally. That's that's something our industry incredibly needs. Thank you so much, Rebecca. If you had one ask of the community, something we could all do to support and accelerate your success, what would that ask be? I would say, please, please follow and support my journey to launch um, Higher and Old. Right now, again, I, it's a micro MVP. So I'm just looking to start by raising awareness, having people join the conversation about what it means to them. And we're going to just define this you know, space and see what happens. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world. Remember, go to the Women in Tech group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you all, talk to you all, all the things in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you so, 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 so much. This is Rebecca Jones, founder of Higher and Old, where we are opening up the conversation about ageism and tech. I'm located in London, UK, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.